I am super happy I came. It was amazing. The fireworks are really fun because you don't think they're coming and like boom fireworks and you're just like this is crazy. This is a church. It was like a Broadway production. It was outstanding. It was awesome. Great, we great loved show. it. First time and it was a blessing. There's something for everyone. Was the baby real? Oh, we Wonderful. loved it. It was great. Lots of people that were very very talented. It was really good. I can go see it a hundred times more. I haven't missed one of these shows in 17 years. I love the smoke machine and the like the. The, the little fire cracky boom stuff. It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, I cried. I worked in film and television for 14 years of my life, and it's unbelievable. I thought it was amazing. I like the snowman part. What was your favorite part? All of it. <laughs> I like to sing the biblical story. Way better than I thought it would have been. It's great. Would you recommend it? Absolutely. We'll be here next year. This is how I GOC. This past July, my car was hit by a retired couple as it was parked. Nobody was hurt and it was an accident and not a big deal to me. The retired couple felt horribly about what they had done and kept waiting for me to give a reaction. I didn't get mad, I didn't lose my cool. They were surprised at how smoothly things went. My kids in the car were talking and said, Mom, why was he so surprised that we weren't so mad? And I said, you guys, we can't blow this opportunity. We could invite them to GOC in a few months. And so my car spent 17 days in the shop getting body work done. We had quite a large bill from that that we were responsible for, including the rental car. After being told countless times that we could go after them since we weren't at fault, not knowing their financial situation and what kinds of things, burdens that they carried. We bit the bullet, paid the bill ourselves, and last week, anticipating GOC tickets going on sale, we extended an invitation to them to come, and they accepted our invitation and will be in the audience on opening night, December 1st. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. 
here in Plymouth. It's great to have you here. Guests, welcome. And those of you at our regional campuses, great to have you here. And if you're watching somewhere around the world online, thanks so much for engaging us. I have to tell you, I, I don't get to say this as often as I should, but um, I consider it such a privilege that you're here, such an awesome honor that you're here, that I have the, the awe-inspiring privilege of opening God's truth to you. Thank you for making Northridge a part of your life. Thank you so much for caring about God's truth and seeking him. And I hope that this series, chapter 29, is impacting you in the same way it's been impacting me. And if you're a guest and you haven't yet experienced a talk, if you like this morning, then hopefully you'll get online. We give all of our talks away for free so that you can catch up and be impacted by it. But chapter 29 is about the idea that God is still working today in the same way he worked in the 28 chapters we find in the book of Acts. And so we're just trying to illustrate the idea that God is still writing his story only now through us, and it's chapter 29. And I want to jump right into the Bible this morning, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And the Bible says, after Jesus said this, he had already died and been buried and rose again, and, and he had told them some final instructions. And it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. I mean, so he's... He's like floating up, and the cloud hides him. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men, a, men of Galilee, they said. It's kind of like, since they're like angelic beings, it's kind of like they said, humans, you know, that kind of thing. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, when I first read that, I thought, that's a really low IQ question, right? It's like... He just floated up, right? That's why we're looking in the sky, duh, you're right? But, but really, there's so much more to their question. What, what they're saying is, why do you continually allow yourself to be surprised that God does godlike stuff? You know, I mean, how come, how come you're always surprised that he can do things that that you can't do, that he's God, that he has a power to do the impossible. Stop it, basically. And then this question in this final verse that forms the truth of this weekend's talk. The angel said to them as they were staring in the sky, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He says, I know you're staring in the sky because you're going, oh, man, I just can't believe this. I mean, how does he do this kind of stuff? And they say, you think that's something. This same Jesus whom you just saw go up, he's going to come again. And, and I, I want to give you this truth because this truth is so vital to those of us who follow Jesus. It's actually vital to those of you who don't yet follow Jesus. You just haven't yet connected to it. But I want you to know it sounds odd that the things of Jesus sound so odd to us, especially when we're not at all connected to him, when we've had no experience with him. They just sound odd. He floated up, you know? He's going to come again. And I understand it's kind of confusing. It's weird. It's outside of the realm what's normal. And I want to talk about that this weekend because the truth that these angels just shared with those disciples, which is still true for us today, this same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This truth is vital. And here it is. Jesus 
is coming again. He really is. This isn't, this isn't some man-made bumper sticker where we get to live in the delusion of some kind of false hope. Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, I've actually been there with, with others from Northridge Church who've chosen to go. Been there, I mean, in real time, in real space, in a real place, in this real world, with lights or without lights. <laughs> Jesus rose. And he said, just as he rose from there, he's going to come back. Jesus is coming again. And, and I want you to know why this is more than just interesting, why it's more than just a curiosity and fun to talk about. I want you to know why this is vital to us as human beings and why it's relevant. And the answer to that is simple. It's because the reality that Jesus is coming again, when we really get it, when we really embrace it, changes how we live. It changes us, which is what we're all looking for. I mean, we're all looking for that something more. We're all looking for meaning and significance. We're all looking for substance. We're all looking for something of worth and value. We're all looking for something to live for. And when we really come to grips with what these angels told them in the book of Acts, that this same Jesus that we talk about, this same Jesus we, we know lived in history, this same Jesus who did so much cool stuff, he, he's... He's coming again. When we get it, it changes how we live. But we have to kind of understand why it doesn't tend to change us and why it's so hard for us to get. You see, by nature, as human beings, we're, we're kind of locked in our moment, right? I mean, we were born into this world and time's ticking by and we're always in space and time and, and I mean, it's all about the now. How am I doing now? How am I doing now? How am I doing now? And, and by nature, we are like that. We are secular, which simply means we tend to live for the now. We tend to lose ourselves in the temporary. We tend to think that the now is all we have, so we do whatever it takes to make today good. I mean, that's what we fight for, because today's all we've got. We want it to be as good as it can be. And so everything rises and falls on the moment for us. This is why we, we make so many bad decisions, to be honest with you. This is why we make so many self-destructive choices in life. Here's kind of how we think. If, if all we have, if all that ultimately matters or that we can control is in this moment, then right or wrong, we need to go for it. We'll risk everything, even our character, even our integrity on making this moment better when we live totally lost in the moment. But of course, it, it doesn't work. And we all know this because we've all, you know, taken the big leap and gone all in for the moment, you know, made the compromises, made the choice. We've all done it. I mean, come on, we've all done it. And, and we've all come up empty again. Oop, didn't work. Wherever that first place was where you totally compromised everything to try and find pleasure or joy or meaning or significance or love in the moment, you know you came up empty. And yet it's all we have when the moment's all we have. So we, we keep doing it. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And we're all, we're all getting what we always got because this is where we live. And it doesn't work because we were made for so much more than this moment. We, we were made for something far more significant than just today. And so when we live for just today, we're living way below our potential. 
When, when we live our lives exclusively for the now, we live below our value because we were made to live for and experience lives which have value for all eternity. In Jesus, you need to know, and this is what the angels were saying, the same Jesus, man, you, don't, don't waste your time just staring into the sky because this same Jesus, with all of his promises, is going to come again. In Jesus, do you know our hope isn't found in the quickly gone pleasures of the moment? In Jesus, our hope is never-ending, which is why even in the most hopeless moments that we experience in this life, we can still live in hope when our hope is in Jesus, and Jesus is coming again. Here's the reality I want us to see. When we have the never-ending hope of Jesus, everything changes. And this is so important because, because we're pretty good about, and I want to apologize for those of you who aren't Christ followers yet for this very fact, we're, we're pretty good about talking about Jesus coming and talking about heaven and talking about eternity and talking about all of these. We're really good about talking about these things, but more often than not, our lives don't look any different than yours, than anyone else's. More often than not, our, our marriages are no different, and our families are no different, and the way we do business is no different, and the way we view money is no different, and the way we view compassion, and, and other people's no different. It's no different, and so it's just clear evidence that we're not really believing in and embracing the idea of Jesus' never-ending hope, that Jesus is coming again. Because when we do embrace his never-ending hope, and I'll show you in the lives of some of those from the book of Acts this weekend, when we really embrace the never-ending hope of Jesus, everything changes. And I don't know about you, this bothers me because I know when I look within, everything hasn't yet changed in me. Which means I'm still placing hope in too much that's lost today instead of the hope of Jesus that's never lost. My, my life hasn't yet totally been transformed by this hope, and I bet yours hasn't either. When we live in full view of the truth that Jesus is coming again, everything changes. Let me just show you two ways from the book of Acts, from characters in the book of Acts, that it, that it changes. When we really focus on the never-ending hope of Jesus, how we live today changes. How we live changes. A great example of this is Peter, who's, you know, one of the main characters in the book of Acts. You, you probably know this, but, but the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, and he wrote another book. Yeah, it's a really unique title for a guy who wrote a book whose name was Luke. It's called Luke. Um, and it's the gospel, and it's about the life and ministry of Jesus on earth, whereas Acts is about all that Jesus continues to do through us, even though he's in heaven before he's coming back. And, and Luke tells us about Peter before he hooked on to the never-ending hope of Jesus. Jesus even told Peter, he says, you know, you're going to mess up. You're going to deny me three times. You're just going to, I know you don't want to. I, I know you think you're going to stand. I know you think you're better than everybody else because that's what Peter said. I love you more than everyone else. If everyone else falls, I won't and all this different stuff. And, and uh, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denied him three times. And at the moment, 
he denied him the third time. Jesus had said before the rooster crows, you know, it's going to happen. And look at how Luke records it in chapter 22, verses 61, 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, think about that. I mean, he denied him three times, actually cussed someone out about it. I'm not one of his blankety blank, 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 fowlers. You know, preachers. You know, they should hear me. Uh, but I mean, really, Cusper, I, I'm not one of his followers. And then the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that moment? And it says, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You'll deny me, disown me three times. And, and he went outside and wept bitterly. And I can tell you, I relate so much to that. And he went outside and wept bitterly thing. There are so many times I am so disappointed with myself. Because as much as I want to stand, I fall. As much as I want to overcome, I'm overcome. As much as I want to, you know, live this life of promise and hope to fullness of my potential, I, I make a choice that just devastates me. And I, I can, I just know Jesus is looking at me. Have you ever felt like that? It's where he was. It, you know, it's not that he wanted to fail. Peter didn't want to fail. But he was wrapped up like we are. And, you, you know, his problem in this portion of his life was that he was imprisoned by his view of the now. I mean, Jesus was betrayed and hauled away and put in front of uh, the leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and had to answer to the high priest. And, and they knew it wasn't going to be good for Jesus. And Peter, Peter was so afraid of losing his life in the now. He was so afraid of the pain and the hurt and the loss and death that, that he couldn't identify as one of Jesus' followers in that moment. He would do anything to protect his life in that moment because the moment was all he had. Can you relate to this? I, I've made choices to protect myself in the moment even though it went against everything I embraced. Have you done that? That's where he was. We don't want to do it. He didn't want to do it, but that's where we are. And it's because we're locked in the prison of, of the now is all I have. I'll do whatever it takes, even compromise everything to protect my now. But we don't have to stay there because Luke, in his second book, the book of Acts, shows us a very different Peter. It's very interesting. He, he compromised every ounce of himself in denying Jesus so he wouldn't have to be in front of the Sanhedrin. He wouldn't have to be in front of the high priest so, so that they couldn't persecute him or kill him. He compromised everything. And now all of a sudden, look at where we find him in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 29. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. There they are. Now they're in the very place that Peter couldn't say no to the denial because he didn't want to go there. Now he's standing there and we find out it's not the first time. He had stood in front of them before and they had threatened him and his life if he would ever talk about Jesus in the world, they wanted to shut the Jesus thing down. And they said, don't talk about him. But look what the high priest in the Sanhedrin, which Peter once feared, says to him. They say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That part cracks me up. They're the ones that said to Pilate, Kill this guy, kill this guy. He's cutting into our business, you know. He's cutting into our religion. Kill this guy, kill this guy. And now they're out saying, they said kill this guy. How dare you say we said kill this guy? Politicians will never change. I mean, seriously, right? 
But there, he denied Jesus, cussed someone out to deny Jesus before, and now, look what it says. Peter and the other apostles replied to these that they used to fear, we must obey God rather than human beings. We don't care what you do to us. We don't care what you say to us because my hope is not in the moment you can steal from me. My hope is in the Jesus who's in heaven and is coming again for me. I am going to stand. It changes everything. What, what changed? I mean, think about it. What changed? His timeline changed. He went from living for the now to living for eternity. And by the way, when your timeline, when you realize you don't have to have it all in the now, but you've got eternity, you can make very different choices. Most of us are chasing pleasures in the now that are compromising our life and filling us with guilt and shame and personal disappointment because we need to find some pleasure in the now. But when you put your hope in eternity, you don't have to lose your life in the now because you know you're going to have your life forever because Jesus is coming again. It's a whole different world. How did his life change? His life changed because he changed his idea of hope, and his hope wasn't in this world. It was in Jesus. Where's your hope? And how has your living changed? I just believe too often we Christians change our language, but our lives don't change. We, we change our music, but how we live doesn't change. And no wonder the world's not buying into the whole Jesus thing. I want you to know, when you really know the Jesus who came and who is coming again, how you live changes, and then the world has to deal with that. And they need that hope. Not only does the idea that Jesus is coming again and we have this never-ending hope, you know, change the way we live, but, and this is really important, it changes what we live for. And to be honest, on a daily basis, most of us are living for things that just don't matter. We're living for things that only matter in the now, but they, they don't matter in the forever. And this is why we disappoint ourselves so often. I, almost every one of my personal disappointments as it relates to my own journey and my own choices flows from the fact that in that moment I was living for the wrong thing, thinking that that thing would give me the joy or the pleasure or the meaning or the significance. That thing would. And some of you right now are contemplating making a choice or doing something or taking a different direction in your life that, that's going to destroy you. You're thinking about throwing away relationships that are important or throwing away character that's important or throwing away values that's important so that you can find some sense of meaning or joy or purpose in this world. And I'm going to tell you, it'll only fill you with more emptiness. But when you have the never-ending hope of Jesus, when you realize, well, Jesus is bigger than this moment, and my hope can be bigger than this moment, it changes what you live for. And a great example of this is Paul, the two primary characters in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul. And both of them had once lived focused on the now and totally blown their lives, and then they changed, and they found their hope in the fact that Jesus is coming again, and it changed everything. 
with Paul. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. We find that Saul, that was his name before it changed to Paul, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And what we do is we find out he is, he is the primary source of persecution against Christ followers in his world. He was, he was helping to kill them and imprison them and destroy their lives. He was going all over the world to do it. And why was he doing it? Because in his religious system, it was all about becoming somebody. He had had the best instructors, he had the best heritage, and he wanted to have the power and the prosperity and the popularity of being one of the big boys in his religion. And so he was doing everything he could to get man's approval in the now so that he could be someone. But when Jesus met him, he said, it's really hard for you to pick against the, to kick against the goats, isn't it? Because you're trying to fill your life up with stuff that doesn't fill your life up. It's miserable, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you, it's miserable when what you live for is the meaninglessness of today. And then Paul discovered Jesus and his hope is bigger. And look at how what he lived for changed in Philippians 3. I'll, I'll read some of the verses between 7 and 14. He says, you know, and he's really just telling the story. Get it personally. This is a real guy just like us. He says, whatever were gains to me before, whatever I... I really put my hope in before, whatever I lived for before, I now consider just a simple loss, a simple write-off for the sake of, I get Christ. In fact, then he goes further. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything I used to find valuable, everything I used to treasure because of the now, I, I now think of as nothing compared to the surpassing worth and treasure of knowing Jesus, my Lord. And he says, in fact, for Jesus, I have lost all things. And I consider all the things I used to invest my whole life for garbage, that I may gain the true treasure, Christ. And then jumping to verse 10, I want, I want to know Christ. That's all I want to know. I want to know his hope. I want to know his love. I want to know him. I want to please him. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's life after death. I, I, I want to participate in his sufferings if that's what it takes. I, I want to become like him in his death so somehow attaining to the resurrection of dead. What he's going is, I want to live for the never-ending hope that Jesus offers. And then he, I love this next statement. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. I really love that because sometimes I'm, I'm reading about these people in the Bible. Do you do this? I read about these people in the Bible. I go, oh my gosh, they're so much bigger and better than I am. I mean, I can never be like, they're, they're just, they're like superheroes. They're crazy. Because we have the whole picture of their whole story and, and all that. But, but here, this guy whom I have such admiration for said, I haven't already obtained this. And I would tell you, quite often I feel challenged by the fact that I'm, my calling is to get up and, and to share with you God's perfect truth when I know that I am not living God's truth perfectly. And there's dissonance in that for me. But that's what Paul did too. He was a flawed human being declaring God's perfect truth. And he said, I haven't already obtained this. I haven't arrived at the goal. I mean, I, I want to be there. I'm not there yet. But, but look what he said I do. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He says, you know what I do? I'm pressing to live for his hope instead of the hope that destroys I'm pressing for it. And then he goes, and brothers and sisters, he gets really personal. He goes, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I, I don't want you to think I've arrived, that, that I'm there, that I'm some kind of superhero of the faith. But one thing I do, 
I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm forgetting all the things I used to live for, the, the now, the today, the pleasure. I'm forgetting about that. And I'm every day straining toward what is ahead. What is ahead? Now listen, what is ahead? There could be dark days, there could be values, there could be uh, 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 depressing days, there could be sorrows, there could be difficulties, there could be death. All these things are ahead. But what was he straining toward what is ahead? Jesus is coming again. He's straining towards the hope that is there for eternity instead of being ruined by the destruction that is found in today. And he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. I haven't made it yet. I'm not doing it perfectly yet. I can certainly embrace that idea. But I'm going to tell you, he's saying, I press on every day to live for Jesus' never-ending hope, to live in a way that will please him when he comes again, instead of ruining my life, one bad choice after another, being lost and imprisoned by the hope of today. And he's saying, you should do the same thing. You see, when Jesus is coming again, becomes the focus of your life, it's not a bumper sticker. It's not a cute song. It's not a great thing to say. It changes everything. It changes how you live and what you live for. And here's the question. How are you living and what are you living for? And does it look like the hope of Jesus or does it look like the hope of today? Because this is where life starts being lived. What changed with Paul is what changed with Peter, his timeline. He went from living for the now where his heart was valuing the wrong treasures to living for eternity where his heart embraced the right treasures. And this is the transformation we have to go to. And this is an important truth for me because I don't want to waste my life on that which doesn't matter. I want to live for the right treasures, but by nature I have a hard time with that. I think you do too. And it goes even further for me because I used to be pretty messed up about the whole heaven thing. I mean, it's like, let's be really honest. I know some of you, like, you feel like you get it, you've got a hold of it. You're going to be surprised when you get there, I think. But you feel like you've got a real handle on it. Yeah, the heaven thing, it's normal, it's awesome, it's cool, it's great, can't wait to get there. For me, it's like, it's always been harder than that. It's like, I'd like to see it first, you know? <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Uh, then I'll know if I want to buy, you know? I'd like to rent just for a little while, maybe lease for a couple millennia, you know that? But it, so it's kind of odd it's out there, I haven't seen it. And, and I just believe so many Christians are living in a make-believe world about heaven instead of the real world about it. If you make it too easy and too simple, I just don't think you're really grasping it to me. I, and I used to be really messed up by this. I used, to, I used to think Christians were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. You know, it's like, God, stop gazing up in the sky, live a little, you know, that kind of deal. But the reality is, though, I, I now know I was wrong in thinking that. Because, did you know our problems in this world don't result from being too heavenly minded? Our problems in this world result from being too earthly minded. And so it was my carnal nature, my earthly nature, going, ah, oh, you're living for the... But, but that's not where our problems come from. The result of being too earthly-minded is that we make bad choices and we don't live for God. We become so earthly-minded that we become no heavenly good. 
And I think in spite of those of us who really think, Jesus is coming again, well, yeah, give it to him, Brad. You know, in spite of those of you who are really into that Jesus is coming again thing, and you're thinking it's about time he says Jesus is coming again, you know, instead of saying, you know, frickin' or something like that. He should say Jesus is coming again, and you're really into this thing. I want you to know that all of us are living in a way that devalues when Jesus comes again. All of us live below our potential. And I'll, I'll prove it. The best question I could come up with that I thought would help us get there, very practical question is this. How much of what you did last week, last week, I'm, how much of what you did last week will matter in 50 years? I bet not much. And yet we're supposed to be living for eternity and we're not even living for stuff that'll matter in 50 years. You see, if you're living for Jesus, that'll matter in 50 years. And I, this really helps put it in perspective for me and this is what happens when our lives are focused on today. We live for what won't matter even tomorrow. We, we don't live for what really matters. We, we become so heavenly minded that we become that we can become so earthly minded that we become no heavenly good. And I just encourage you to realize that we need to become heavenly minded. When we're heavenly minded, our focus is on God instead of the person who hurt us, instead of the way we got betrayed, instead of disappointments, instead of losses, instead of dreams that haven't come true, instead of our financial insecurities, instead of who's going to win the presidential election. Some of you are so messed up by the presidential election. Eh, it's great. I mean, we should, we're citizens that get to vote. We should vote, right? And we should try and figure this thing out. One of the things that scares me is some of you know nothing and you're still voting. Scares the heck out of me. <laughs> but, but, but I'm going to tell you, whoever our next president is, is nothing compared to the fact that Jesus is coming again. I mean, this is important. Whoever our next president is, I'm not going to leave America, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to go out and buy gold, and I'm not going to do this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to double down on living for Jesus, because in that, I've got some hope. We need to be into him. All right. So... I thought, of, how can I, how can I, help? I can get carried away, I'm sorry, and I, the good news is this is a shorter talk this week, so two hours, no more, and, um, <laughs> but when we're heavenly minded, our focus is on God, when we're heavenly minded, we live lives of earthly good instead of selfish good. When we're heavenly minded, it's motivation to live every single moment and make every single choice in light of eternity. And I think about my biggest disappointments were when I was so lost in the moment I wasn't thinking about how this will play in eternity. Have you ever done that? And I bet you right now, maybe this last week, maybe in this next week, you're contemplating some choices that, that sound really good, seem really good in this moment, but if you would view it in light of eternity, I bet you'd make a different choice. Peter felt really good about denying Jesus until 
Jesus looked him in the eye. And then he realized what a failure he was, what a disappointment it was, how much shame there is in that. I believe too many of us are living without eye contact on the Savior. But Jesus is coming again, and when we get eye contact, do you want to weep bitterly or do you want to rejoice and celebrate? It's all about how we live today. And I tried to think of an example from my life that would help illustrate this a little bit. And it's kind of a juvenile illustration, really. It's like from when I was a teenager. And I was a, I'm not going to get into my story right now, but I was a really messed up teenager. I mean, seriously. If my parents didn't keep a leash on me, I would have been, you know, try and picture that one. Brad with a leash. Yeah, it was this metal thing, spikes. It was pretty cool. I got in a lot of trouble as a teenager, but I would have gotten in a lot more trouble as a teenager, done a lot more stupid things. Had I not always known when I was out of sight of my parents that they were coming home. Now, I'm being very serious. I mean, I would have turned our house into the greatest party place in the history of the universe, but I believed my parents were coming home and it would be better for me if I didn't do stupid stuff like that. So what I did is I went to my friend's house who had low IQs and uh, they didn't know their parents were coming home because they were that dumb and uh, they got in trouble and I had fun. But I, I didn't do it at my house because I, I really believed my parents were coming home and if they came home and I was doing something like that, it wasn't like the sissy stuff that's going on today. I mean, I, they would have killed me, you know? <laughs> I knew they were coming home. And knowing they were coming home changed the way I lived. Do you realize the same happens in our lives today when we believe Jesus is coming? But most of us are living like he's not. But he is. When we're heavenly-minded, we don't just stand around looking at the sky, singing beautiful songs, and lifting our thing and wasting time. In our passage, the angels told them, stop just looking in the sky. Well, why are you just gazing in the sky, you know? He says, he's coming back. And if he's coming back, you don't want to be gazing in the sky. You want to be doing what he told you to do. You want to be living like he told you to live. You want to be living for what he told you to live for. It's not good enough that you have the bumper sticker and you're looking in the sky. You can't use that he's coming back as an excuse for doing nothing. When we're heavenly minded, when we know Jesus is coming again, we seek to live our lives to please him. We don't use it as an excuse to do nothing. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop just looking up there. And we need to start living the up there down here. Because that's when the world changes. Here's the application I want to give you. And I'll give you a couple of thoughts that I hope you can chew on this week that will help maybe make a difference in your life. And then I'll pray and we'll be on our way. If we're genuinely looking for his coming, I mean, if you genuinely, and I know some of you aren't, you're not even sure you believe in the whole God thing, the whole Jesus thing, it's hard for you to comprehend that he could float up and come down, but I'm gonna tell you, if there's a God in this world who could create this universe with a spoken word, he can float up and he can float down. If there's a God in this universe who created the law of gravity, he can break the law of gravity and he can do it. He really can. 
And you keep saying, I'm looking for something more, I'm looking for something more, but I can't believe in God and I can't believe in Jesus. Until you get to the place where you can believe in God and Jesus, you're going to keep looking for something more because he's the something more you're looking for. And he's coming again. But if we're really looking for his coming, we'll live different lives. And this is a challenge to you Christians. This is a challenge to you who are a part of this church. It's a challenge to me. If we're really looking for his coming, we'll live very different lives. Look, in fact, let me just parse it out for you. If we're looking for his coming, our focus will be in the right place. It'll be in the right place. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I don't know about you, but most of my, my thinking's about earthly things. You know, the person that hurt me, the person that betrayed me, the person that's disappointed me, the person that's not doing this, how this person's not living to my standards, and it's just messing with me, and God, fix all these people out there. And he's saying, no, here's what you need to do. Fix your eyes on me, and I'll be able to fix what's in you. And that'll change everything. When our hope is in Jesus, our focus is in the right place. When our, when our eyes are on Jesus and his coming, our priorities will be in the right order. I mean, we'll live for the right things. And I have to be honest, more often than not, I'm not living with the right priorities. And it's because I'm living in the now like Peter and Paul in the beginning instead of like Peter and Paul at the end. I don't know what's going on with Mary. You have to be 80 to get that joke, I think. Young people are still going, what? <laughs> I'm really old. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just really, I'm really old. Should be talking about the Beverly Hillbillies or something like that, but okay. Look at Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make your first priority Jesus being king of your life. Make your first priority, living his way, making your relationship with him right. And everything else, the people that, that, everything else that other people are making the priorities of their life and they're still living in emptiness, God will provide your needs in those areas. When, when we're looking for Jesus coming, when we're living for his hope, our priorities are in the right order. Can I ask you a question? Are your priorities in the right order? And finally, when we're really looking to Jesus and his coming, our heart will be on the right treasure. Our heart will be on the right treasure. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I mean, come on. Why put all your treasure in that which is gone in a moment? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And then this last verse, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When, when our focus is on the never-ending hope of Jesus, our heart will be on the right treasure. And I think too often our heart's not on the right treasure. So here's my conclusion, and I'm, I'm asking you to stick with me just for a minute. There are some people who have to get up to go get ready to do ministry to you when you're leaving, but if that's not you, stick with me, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill in the last two blanks on the outline, and I know what that means for some of you. I know. 
But I want you to know, I created the blanks, Jesus didn't, and Jesus has more to say after my blanks are filled in, okay? That's, <laughs> here's the conclusion, everything changes for those who have the never-ending hope of Jesus. Everything changes for those who have the never-ending hope of Jesus. And you know, I don't know about you, but I, I'm often weary and tired fighting for the changes that I'm trying to create in my marriage, in my, in my kids, in my kids, <laughs> in you and other people. I mean, seriously, I'm just always, I'm just weary in myself. But you know, the truth is, everything changes for those who have never any hope of Jesus. Many of the changes I'm fighting for and weary about are already available to me if I put my hope in the right place. Because see, I don't have to wait for hope. I can have it now. Even in the midst of betrayal, even in the midst of disappointment, and even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of my brokenness, I can go from Peter the denier to Peter the unbelievable man of God by simply going from hope lost in today to hope embracing Jesus coming again. Changes everything. And I, I, this verse, I think it's a great benediction to the talk before I pray. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. I think many of us are weary and weak, but he can give us strength and give us power. Even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall, but, and here's where the strength and the power comes from, but those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like eagles, they run and they don't grow weary, and they walk and they will not faint. So here's the question, are you weary or soaring? Are you weary or soaring? Peter was weary and broken when he was looking for his hope in this world, but he began soaring when he found his hope in Jesus. How he lived changed. Paul was weary and broken when, when he lived for the hope of, of today, but he started soaring when he found the hope of Jesus. He started living for the right things. And so the question now is, how about us? Are you weary or soaring? Here's the good news. No matter how weary you are, you can be soaring if you simply put your hope in Jesus because he is coming again. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we pray, I just really encourage you, if you're already a believer, to think about how maybe you're living below your potential because you're living too much lost in today instead of focused on his hope. You're living in the brokenness of disappointment today instead of in the joy of hope. Make that change. And if you're here and you've not experienced the hope of Jesus in you, I'm gonna pray right now, and my prayer can't do it for you, but if you make my prayer your prayer, Jesus can do it for you. And so in your heart, quietly to God, just say, Jesus, I need your hope. I need you to fill my emptiness with your fullness. I need you to take my despair and, and fill it with the hope of your never-ending promises. And so I give you my sin and my guilt and my shame and I put my faith 
in your death for me and your resurrection to give me new life. Forgive me, save me, give me the new life of hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, just before I give you the last thought, let me know. I put together a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. I just need to know you prayed with me. And so in the programs in our church setting is this connection card inside. Fill it out. Check off the appropriate statement at the bottom. Maybe you're renewing your faith. Maybe it's your first time. And then put it in the box as you leave, and we'll send you information. Please let us know. If you're watching online, just hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you. But here's the bottom line. We can have hope never-ending in Jesus. But you know what the world needs? Hope never-ending in Jesus. Do you know how the world can find that hope? By us living it and then us inviting them to it. And I just really want to encourage you, every single talk in this series, chapter 29, which goes through November, has hope in the title because that's what Jesus gives us. And I just really want to encourage you, would you start inviting people to join you on the weekend to learn about the hope, not of today, but that's never-ending? Let's build into others' lives. And don't forget, the glory of Christmas is coming, the greatest opportunity to invite someone in to learn about Jesus. And one more week... Tickets are only on sale to you who come to Northridge Church so that you can be inviting people to come see Jesus. I hope that you'll do it. I hope that you'll invite, and I hope you'll be praying for it. Jesus is coming again. Let's live like it. Thanks, everybody.